You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. That music, God, it just gets me so excited. It's like frantic, it's scary, it's it's suspenseful, but uh, that intro always makes me happy, happy. And um, today, we have a, a very special guest. He is the host of Blaze TV's Chad Prather Show and Humor Me with Chad Prather. He is a 2022 candidate for the Texas governorship. Uh, he's also author. You can see it behind me there if you're watching. I've got it on the shelf there. Am I crazy? An unapologetic patriot take on the insanity of today's woke world. Welcome to the show, Chad. How you doing, buddy? It's good to see you, Clint. I love it when you introduce people as a very special guest. Have you ever had, like, do you have categories <laughs> of very special, special, and we just have a guest? Yeah, that's actually, hey, I've got an awesome guest, or hey, I've got a guy that gives me a boner, or hey, I've got a very special. So, you know, you fall in the middle there. All right. I like that. Well, it's good to be with you, man. I love the show. I appreciate you. Uh, and and uh, I don't know how long I've known you now, but uh, a couple of years. Uh, I, I always call you my uh, my favorite assassin. <laughs> and I appreciate that. It makes me sound super cool. Um, but yeah, so let's start with uh, always the entertaining rapid fire. Uh, this will be fun. I am a non-political guy because I don't like politicians, even though you're running for one. But we'll get into that in a minute and have some fun with it. But first and foremost, rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Donkey or elephant? A donkey. <laughs> a donkey, yeah. Uh, red or blue? Uh, blue. Yeah. Football or baseball? Baseball. All right. You're kind of, yeah. Okay. You're doing good. Constitutional carry or license to carry? Constitutional carry. Beautiful. Uh, a Texas summer or a Texas winter? Uh, Texas summer. <laughs> uh, brisket or steak? Uh, steak. Nice. Bourbon or beer? Uh, bourbon. Yeah. There we go. I think I knew that. Apple pie or pecan pie? Uh, gosh. Uh, God, who made it? That's the deal, Clint. <laughs> uh, I'm going to yeah. go with pecan pie. There we go. Uh, and I like the way you say pecan. Like growing up in the state of Georgia, that's how we said it. I, I, I figured out as I got older, it sounded dumb to say it that it way. Does. So I, I, I sold out and started calling it pecan. You're either a pecan <laughs> or you're pecant. <laughs> I yes, guess that exactly. has everything to do with prostate health. All right. Uh, 
come and take it or don't tread on me. Uh, come and take it. Yeah. All right, cool. Circling back around, you got donkey versus elephant. You pick donkey. <laughs> is that just because you like donkeys or is that because of a political party? No, I, you know, on the political side of things, it would be an elephant. But when it comes to the animal, it would definitely be a donkey. <laughs> All right. I, I was trying to stump you. Maybe I did. I don't know. Uh, you're running now. You're running as Republican, though, right? Yeah, I'm like you. I don't like politicians and I really don't like po politics. You know, I've made a living running my mouth in political humor for a lot of years, uh, you know, making fun of politics. Uh, but the reason I'm running as a Republican and I always said I would never was a few things I said I would never do. I said I'd never run for office and I said I would never align myself with a political party. But I knew the only way to, to primary the guy that's in office now was to run in his same party. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm a conservative guy. Don't get me wrong. But uh, at the end of the day, I hate political parties and I hate politicians. Yeah, I'm with you. It's like politicians, attorneys and tax people. You know, it's like those are the big three targets I've got on my list. <laughs> um, all right. Red or blue? You pick blue. Any reason? Because of the shirt you're wearing or color of your eyes? Uh, yeah, right. I, I just I just don't like red. I, you know, I'm not a uh, it's, it's one of those. Uh, they say that they say that the color red and the color yellow uh, inspire people to, to be hungry. Like that's why like Burger King and McDonald's and all of like KFC, everything has red and yellow in their logos, hmm. predominantly red. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know why that is, but there's just something triggering about red in my head that I don't like. Yeah. Makes me want to drink a Coca-Cola for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Bingo. Exactly. <laughs> um, football or baseball, you pick baseball. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just like a slow developing game. You know, they, they say that whenever you're watching a football game, it's really only about 10 minutes of the ball actually being in play out of the entire hour. You only watch about 10 minutes of actual action. Yeah. And baseball is a lot slower, more developing. And plus, I played baseball for a long, long time. So got an affinity for it. What did you play? You play in high school, college? Or yeah, all the above. I, I even did some some uh, some uh, minor league stuff uh, in uh the uh, but yeah, we University of Georgia and did a lot of uh, I got a hair up my nose or something, but yeah, I, I, I lived it, I lived baseball until I, I was puking it up, man. I just I got to the point where I despised it and didn't do anything, didn't even watch baseball for years after that. I was so burned out on it, but uh, have to go with the game of baseball. All right, well, that makes makes perfect sense to me. I had no idea that you played, that's pretty cool. What, what position did you play? I was a catcher, oh. sort of like now. <laughs> <laughs> yep aren't we all um all right constitutional carry versus license to carry you pick constitutional yeah i i you know shall not be infringed to me means exactly that i think when you start putting a lot of rules and regulations in there you know we just passed a they call it constitutional carry here in the state of texas really more permitless uh if if that law were passed in 1776, uh, James Madison and Alexander Hamilton wouldn't be able to carry because they'd be too young. You know, to me, that's that's not constitutional. So I'm I'm a, I'm a lot more of a hands off kind of guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, Texas just recently switched to that, as we both know. And, um, you know, I think there's great points that go on either side. When I had Jeff Gonzalez on, and if you haven't listened to that one, it's worthy. But he made some valid points that, you know, having trained people carrying guns is 
never a bad idea. And even if it's only the eight hours they get to get their license, at least it's something. Uh, yeah. Versus the 21-year-old that goes in, buys a pistol, and walks out that day and starts carrying it with no clue uh, on what to do with that thing. So, But on the flip side, the fact that if you're 21 and you want to go in and buy a gun and carry it, then you should be able to, you know, and you're uh, taking a lot of responsibility in your hands. But that responsibility, I think, is a privilege everyone should have. So I I understand why people are so split on it, but uh, I'm a constitutional yeah. carry my guy myself. It's like, I, I mean, the way, the way I look at that, Clint, is, you know, we, we discovered our dicks when we were about 12 or 13 years old and nobody ever really gave us training on how to use that thing. And <laughs> God, it's done way more damage than guns over the centuries. Which leads us into the abortion controversy here in Texas. <laughs> it's all because of guys with dicks. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> we won't even touch that one. All right. So a Texas summer versus a Texas winter. Texas summer you picked. You know, the older I get, the hotter it feels, right? I, I'm 48 and about to be 49 in two weeks. And, and I'm at a point now where it just feels hotter. And that sounds like a negative thing. Um, I just hate the cold, man. I hate to be cold. And plus girls, they wear less clothing in the summertime. And, you know, where else can you put on a, you know, girls put on these bikinis and float down the river and you sit out there and just watch them by the thousands. So Texas, Texas <laughs> offers a lot in the summer. Uh, we, uh, we offer a lot of broken power grids and cold indoors uh, in the wintertime based on our track record. So let's keep it hot in Texas. Yeah, there you go. The uh, future governor of Texas supports bikinis. There you go. You've heard it here. Yeah. Um, okay. We went with uh, brisket versus steak. You pick steak. I think, you know, I grew up in Georgia where, where we never, I never had brisket until I moved to Texas 20 some odd years ago. Uh, I didn't know that there was such a thing as brisket. I grew up with pork barbecue uh, and pulled pork, still my favorite form of barbecue. Uh, which I know is sacrilegious to, to folks that are Texans, but I think people can uh, screw up brisket quite a bit. You can screw up steak, certainly, but a lot of people that think they're pit masters, they really can, they can really F up a side of beef in a heartbeat uh, if you're not careful. So to me, I, I just prefer the, the texture of steak and the flavor of steak, and, and I'm pretty good at it, making it. So All right, well... I'll go with you on that, but uh, yeah, I'm a brisket guy, and that's probably because you know I've been a Texan my whole life, and yeah. that's what you grow up loving, and uh, it's our uh, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner in many formats. You know what I mean? You put it with your eggs, or you can eat it by itself at night, or both. Um, bourbon and beer. You picked bourbon. Yeah, I've never. I've always been a whiskey and, and whiskey bourbon, uh, somewhat of a Scotch guy. I, I love a good bourbon. Uh, beer. I've never been a big fan of beer. In fact, I got drunk first time I ever got drunk in my life. I was seventeen years old. I wanted to drink beer. I wanted to like beer so bad, and I hated the flavor of beer. I just hated it. My brother drank it all the time, and I thought it would be cool to drink beer. So I, I took a bunch of shots of Evan Williams whiskey. I got drunk <laughs> in order to try beer and uh so it kind of i had to get drunk to like beer <laughs> and i had to use cheap ass evan williams whiskey to do it uh and i just finally you got to a point where i said you know it's okay I, you, you don't have I, two beers i like i enjoy two beers when it's hot outside and i'm good on that but no it's definitely gonna be the brown stuff yeah well my takeaway on that is 17 year old got drunk <laughs> 
Yep, running for governor. I love it. You know, you're already yeah, getting my vote. I mean, you're admitting you're you're an open book, and you're admitting to things that most of these fucking yeah. politicians act like. Oh, that never happened. Um, so yeah, I you like know, the fact. That listen, I, I always tell people they ask about the skeletons in the closet. I said, "There's no closet." I said, "I arranged the skeletons out in the front yard like Halloween <laughs> decoration." Yeah. There's no closet. We burned that shit down a long time ago. Yeah, I think you kind of have to. You got to own it all because someone's going to go dig it up with today's uh, cyber infrastructure. Um, all right. So apple pie versus pecan or pecan pie. Pecan. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like them both, honestly. I don't eat a lot of sweets, um, but, but if I'm going to do it, I, I think I just like the texture and the crunch of pecan pie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you could almost flip a coin on that, but I'm going to go, if I had to pick right now, if I'm at the Lubies and I'm walking through the line, it's going to be, pecan. <laughs> there you go. And I, you know, I, um, I go with pecan too, just because it's, you know, a lot of these questions I've asked you really is the United States versus Texas. <laughs> so yeah. Texas yeah. is, it's like dessert if you were to look it up and I, I don't know if it's been claimed the Texas dessert, kind of like the Texas flower or anything like that, but it pecan pie is definitely up there. Um, and then of course, come and take it versus don't tread on me. You pick come and take it, which is Texas. One of Texas's first flags. Yeah. You know, battle of Gonzalez. Uh, it was, uh, it's one of those things. I, I, I always appreciate the Texas history because, uh, you know, American history, we won our independence because of things that were being done to us. And, and it, you know, you have to you have to appreciate those guys and their resolve and resilience to say, we're not going to take this anymore. Uh, but you had these these um, these folks, these peasants, these villagers, these Texians, if you will, in the city of Gonzales. And they had a cannon that didn't even work anymore. And when the Mexicans said, hey, we want that cannon back, they were like, you know, screw you. You come take it. Uh, you're not getting <laughs> yeah. our you know, non-functioning cannon. I mean, this is, this is our one, one phallic symbol that we, it shows our power. If you want to come and get this thing. So I, I love that attitude that the Texians had in regard to that. Yeah, no, it is an awesome history. And uh, I do like to compare and contrast because we joke about it, but we're almost kind of sort of serious, you know, that Texas is its own country and we're proud of yeah. Texas having been its own country at one point in time. Um, in Texas and, you know, in the news has certainly been, uh, you know, shaking things up, whether it's been, uh, abortion, uh, what else, uh, our gun laws. Um, well, I mean, if you turn on, if you turn on the television, if you go to the news, the, you're going to see the images, if they're talking about border security and they're talking about open borders, it, the, you're going to see the Texas border, right? They're not talking about New Mexico, Arizona, or California's Southern border and all three of those have it. They're going to talk about Texas because I believe that Texas has a target on its back because of that attitude that Texas has of, of, you know, that come and take it attitude, that humble arrogance with everything bigger in Texas, you know, the, um, the size, the economy, the privilege, the power, the sense of identity that we have here in Texas. I see Texas kind of as the anchor that America's holding on to right now in terms of what made America great originally. And so Texas is that last bastion of freedom that has the ability to kind of put America back on track if America wants to be on that track. And, and Texas basically kind of gives that middle finger and says, if you don't want to be on the right track, that's fine. We'll run on that track. We don't need you. Uh, and so that kind of that attitude, I, I, I kind of 
you know, you got to love that, especially if you love liberty and, and a sense of independence and freedom. Yeah, I I certainly do. And I think people are starting to get in it, hence the reason why we have so many people moving. We have thousands of people moving here every day to the great state of Texas or the great country of Texas. And um, what do you think about that California invasion? <laughs> well, it depends on what part of California is coming. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of individuals and a lot of families who are getting out of the cesspool, which is California. You know, cess yeah, uh, California is a, is a reasonably good state, right? It's a beautiful place. The weather's great. The people are beautiful. It's got beautiful country. It's the number one state in America for agriculture and ranching. But they're being screwed by bureaucracy, right? So if, if you define it by the big cities, that's problematic. But people are they're starting to come out because they do have conservative values and they feel like their liberties are being taken away from them and they're being taxed to death and there's no freedom in California. Uh, I welcome those folks to Texas. The problem that I have is when you start bringing in the Teslas and the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks and you bring and start turning Texas like uh, Travis County, Austin, you start turning it into a miniature Silicon Valley uh, because it brings with it not only their money and their influence and the people, but it brings their ideologies. And, and that that becomes problematic for me. And I think when people say don't California my Texas, that's what they're truly referring to. Yeah, I agree. And I and I have to back that up with it's. At the end of the day, California is where it's at because of how they vote. So as long as they don't yep. bring the same voting logic to Texas, then Texas will be okay. But if they start voting yep. exactly the same way they did in California, then we will end up in the same boat. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, so you know, back to my earlier point about Texas having the size and economy to put America back on track. California has the size and economy, but they're not going to do it. I mean, they, they've gone, you know, as I say, you know, my book, as you referred to earlier, you know, an unapologetic patriot takes on the insanity of today's woke world. California's gotten so woke and so open minded that their brains have spilled out. And, uh, you know, you've got you've got, you know, Sacramento and San Diego and San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, you know, you. You, that's what you think of when you think of of California. You know, you don't think of the Bakersfields and the Reddings. You don't think of the, the Visalias and those places out there. You know, and even uh, you know San Luis Obispo. You know, those places where where you know the wine country, the people they still get their hands dirty when they go to work every day. We don't think about those parts of California as much. We just think about that urban sprawl that's out there. And now we think about this big, big uh, blue crazy wide open cesspool of wokeism that california has become because it's been defined by hollywood and, and you know uh, a weird hierarchy of um, of nepotistic government there i know Sac sacramento with the pelosi's and the newsom's and the, so on and so forth so man i hope that doesn't happen in texas but i, I got a feeling that if we don't do something quick about it uh, the government here in texas has gotten so big that it's starting to mirror that in a lot of ways and unfortunately we're, we're kind of headed the same way because our big cities, whether it's Dallas, Fort Worth, El Paso, San Antonio, Houston, Austin, those are big blueberries and a big bowl of red chili. Right. So, you know, the, they would love nothing more than to see Texas kind of become a blue, a purplish to blue state in a big way, because, again, they don't they don't like these dissenters like us Texans. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, as we talked about the wall, I used to joke, like, why don't we build the wall to the northern border? Yeah. You know, let's keep Mexico on our side and let's build a wall the northern border of Texas. <laughs> yeah, I, I always joke about that. I say, you know, build a southern wall 
all the way across from, you know, the border of Louisiana, Texas, all the way to California's coast, but then go north, right? In any place that sounds like it belongs in Mexico, build a wall around that. So San Diego, <laughs> Los Angeles, yeah. San Francisco, you know, and then build it, keep going north, build it around Portland, build it around Seattle. Yeah. And then cut across with those Canadian bastards. I don't trust them at all, man. They come down here. <laughs> They make, they make millions and billions of dollars in Hollywood. You know, Jim Carrey, Justin Bieber, Ryan Reynolds, all these guys. And then they get woke and they start bucking against the capitalistic system, which made them rich and famous. And they want us to become democratic socialists or whatever they're calling it these days. You know, we ought to just set up a series of slingshots. And if you bitch about how we do things in America, we just shoot them back into Alberta. Uh, and like, <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic. We could even make money just selling tickets for people to watch that. We could yeah. commercialize the kid out of that. <laughs> I love it, man. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. I heard a joke about, and I and then I was like, man, that's pretty valid. Like anybody wanting to move to Texas should pay five thousand dollars for their driver's license, right? <laughs> like a tax. I, you know, I wish there was a way. I said over and over again, I wish there was a way we could put people on a hiatus or like a, a probationary period. So if you <laughs> yeah. move to Texas, you should have to wait here at least four or five years before you can vote in state politics. Because because to me, and, and in all seriousness. You know, I joke about it, but it's true. Texas is a spirit, right? It's more than a zip code or a geography. It's more than a border or a place on the map. It's it's a spirit, you know, and I tell people you, you can't teach that spirit. It's not taught. It's caught. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you get it, you've got it. It's very contagious. And I remember coming hunting out here like 25 years ago, and I, I said to a friend of mine in Texas, I said, the funny thing about you Texans, I said, you guys would rather be Texans than Americans. And I kind of said it tongue in cheek, but he just stared at me like real serious. And he goes, he goes, don't fuck around and find out. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I've learned that over the years. I mean, that's true. There is that spirit that says, look, we're not, we're not messing around here. Texas first. Uh, and that, that really does become the, kind of the mantra here. So I hope when people move to Texas, they know what they're getting into because, because they're up against a, a pretty large legacy here. Yeah, I agree, man. It's uh, it's something you're born and bred with here, and you're very proud of it. And you can drive the streets, and you'll see the biggest flags waving yeah. in this state than any other state. And it's both the American flag and the Texas flag. And I tell yeah. people that being a Texan and being proud of it is a higher level of American patriotism, without a doubt. You know, it is. Uh, yeah, it is the next level up. It's not cutting away America. It's it's that highest order of patriotism is, uh, yeah. you know, Texanism. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. And, and so I was, I wasn't born in Texas, but I was conceived in Texas. And as a pro-life guy, you know, I, I always tell people, I say, I have Texas DNA. Yeah. You know, my parents did a dirty thing in a horrible place there in Dallas, <laughs> you know, but, but I joke about how Dallas was different in 1972. And miracles happen in unlikely places. So I was conceived in Texas. And, and you know, regardless, it's kind of got, I, I just have that Texas DNA. When I came to Texas and like really started thinking about living in Texas, it was about 21 years ago. And I thought, you know, I can breathe here. I, I'm a country boy. I grew up down in the woods, man. And for a hyperactive guy, 
you know, I didn't have neighborhood friends. I had the dogs and the cows and the horses and the trees. And, you know, I was crazy, man. But, but for me, it was like, I always felt constricted growing up down in the woods because you, you'd have, I'd have to look straight up to see any blue of the sky because these hundred foot pine trees everywhere. I came to Texas and I was like, shit, I can see the sky here. Like I can breathe and I like it. So, uh, you know, six months later I had the truck packed up and I was moving out here and I've never looked back to me. Texas is just the center of the universe. There's nothing like it, man. There's just absolutely nothing like it. And so out here on this campaign trail, you know, in the, in the world, you know, having come from the world of entertainment, doing television and radio and all these different live shows, I'm used to being on an airplane or, or, be, or being on a tour bus or something like that. Now I'm in my truck and I'm driving all across the state doing this campaign stuff. And I'm hitting the smallest towns in Texas, the smallest counties. You know, most people don't know where Mitchell County is or Garza County or Erath County. They don't, most people don't even know where those are. But man, it's a blessing to me because I just get reinvigorated by the spirit of Texas that's out there. And uh, it's just so strong. People who, if you don't get it, you don't get it. You know, those old, um, those pictures we used to stare out at, at the kiosk in the mall that had the squiggly lines and all the colors and it was just gobbledygook on a, in a frame. But if you looked at it kind of cross-eyed and looked through it, a picture would emerge in your brain and you would see like a jungle scene or a pirate ship or something. Uh, you know, to me, that's Texas. Like you either, you either see it or you don't see it. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And so it's a pretty special thing. Yeah, I'm with you, man. That's I like it, man. You've got a good, you got a good like Cliff Notes version on uh, what it's like <laughs> to be in Texas or be a Texan. Um, yeah. Obviously, through lessons learned, moving here and living here. And uh, I think you're right. People should be on a probationary period until uh, they get hit with a little bit of Texas, uh, which takes time. <laughs> and then once they get it, then like you said, they get it. Uh, switching yeah. gears, your book. Let me pull this thing off the shelf here. Let's talk about this, uh, you know, Am I Crazy? So uh, when did this come out? Give us a little background here. So then the book came out, I think it was released about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, something like that. It was it was in early October. Yeah. Um, the, um, it was supposed to come out in August, and there was a supply chain issue. You know how everybody's lumber was going higher, and uh, apparently paper is made out of wood too. So uh, <laughs> there was a shortage of paper. So they couldn't release it in August and they couldn't release it in September. Finally got it out in October. And um, the book, what we did was I, you know, I've run my mouth for a living. I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to talk for a living. And over the years, I'll, I'll ramble and rant uh, on a little short basis of, of current events and personalities and headlines, and things that are going on that I perceive are kind of crazy in the world. And uh, so we just compiled a lot of those things over the last two years it started putting them together in a book form and it, and it just kind of began to evolve. It's what I call a common sense guide to the end of the world, because I think we're in this, you know, we talk about cancel culture, cancel culture is a very serious thing. When you start trying to silence people and take away their voice and, and you want to control culture by just absolutely wiping the dissenting voices or differing opinions off the map. So that's kind of what this book is. I took a lot of examples in, in different situations that have happened over the last couple of years. And I talk about them, but then there's underlying principles with all of those things that happen. And I try to take it and wrap it in a little bit of humor so it's an easier pill to swallow, put it in short chapter form. I, I call it a bathroom book because like, I wish there were perforated pages 
So like if you were taking a dump and, and, and you didn't like a chapter, you could just rip those out. And since the store shelves are barren of toilet paper these days, you could just wipe your ass with the book, go buy another one, and it would put me on the bestseller list. That's so a great idea. I got some weird ideas in that regard. I like it, man. That's uh I, I think uh, I haven't had a chance to dig into it as you just gave it to me literally a week ago. And um yeah. but yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into this one. Um you know, it's listed under politics and humor, which uh, you got to have some politic or I mean, sorry, you got to have some humor uh, to deal with politics. Uh, and obviously you got a bunch of that. So let's dig back a little bit into your past. When did you get when did you realize or when were you told you were funny or you decided <laughs> that you wanted to uh, be a comedian and get on the stage and do what you're doing? Yeah, it kind of happened by default. I've been on a stage of some form or fashion my entire life. I was on TV for the first time when I was three years old. And, uh, you know, I did. Then I always I always view playing sports as being on a stage. You know, I, I enjoyed, you know, playing in front of people. And then I did theater stuff in high school. And, and, and uh, it was it was kind of crazy. I just always had this knack for talking and being in front of people and being able to communicate. And so then in my in my 20s and 30s, I spent a lot of time in third world countries. I was in Southeast Asia. I was a lot of time in West Africa, you know, Central and South America, uh, all over the Pacific Islands. And, you know, I met my first wife in Nigeria. I went all the way to West Africa to meet a white girl from Alabama. Uh, so that was an interesting little deal. And um, I'd go on these trips. I'd go do these things, these adventures, as I call them, and, and do medical work and humanitarian aid work in these villages in the middle of nowhere. And then I'd come back and you always had the churches or these civic organizations that wanted you to come talk and tell your stories. So I would do that. And it was kind of motivational, but it was also funny, right? Because I just can't help it. Just, you know, put my foot in my mouth sometimes. And then people would want to have you back because they didn't care if you motivated them. They just liked the fact that you made them laugh and it was entertaining. So, uh, you know, I did that more and more and more. And, um, uh, kind of built a career out of that. And then this thing called social media came along and I, I kind of got addicted to Facebook and YouTube. And I go, you know, I would say to myself, I'd say, there's a way to make a living using this tool. I just can't figure it out yet. And then I, then it kind of hit me one day. I said, you know, it's almost like owning your own television network. You know, this idea of, of yeah, I can put any content out there that I want. So when I'd be, I'd be going to a studio, uh, driving down the highway, going to a studio to do voiceover work for a television show that I was doing. Uh, on cable and I, and I would on the way to the studio, I'd be sitting in traffic. So I just popped my camera phone up on the dashboard of my truck and I would just, it was kind of therapeutic for me just to get stuff off my chest. And um, I'd post it on Facebook and some people, you know, locally, they would, they would watch it and laugh about it. And then one day it went viral, you know, I mean, it just went crazy. Uh, it was like a million views of one of these videos I did in the parking lot of the target and a million people watched this thing. It went crazy. My mother called me on the phone. She said, I heard you're sick. And I'm like, what? And she said, yeah, somebody told me you went viral. And I, I said, no, I said, they're just talking about my Facebook and my Twitter. She said, Chad, you're 40 years old. You don't want to be touching your Twitter. You're too old for all that. And so like, I, I mean, this is my mother, right? And so and I didn't have the nerve to tell her about my Snapchat, but the, uh, it was kind of crazy, right? How this thing just kind of took off with social media, went crazy. Then uh, I had a friend of mine who was in comedy and uh, Bill Martin, he's a great comedian. And he said to me one day, he said, dude, you should go like, you built this audience online. Why don't you go do something on stage and sell tickets to it? I said, well, I'm not really a comedian. He said, they'll buy tickets, man. Just And I said, well, okay, well, I know how to tell funny stories. And so, 
you know, I wanted to honor the craft of comedy. I didn't want to just go up there and half-ass it. A lot of these social media guys do that. I didn't have the, hey, look at me attitude of being on stage. So I went out and, and started kind of working and crafting comedy and, and what it was to put together a bit and how to tell a, you know, a joke and, and how to take an audience somewhere. And so that started for me about seven years ago. And it's been very fruitful, uh, incredible. It puts me in about 35 states a year, at least, doing about 130, 140 shows a year. And, uh, you know, the world of politics was always intriguing to me. And I've kind of been a media junkie over the years. And so I started doing political humor and political jokes. And people kind of started knowing me as, you know, the political cowboy because, I, you know, I'm always wearing the cowboy hat. And, um, you know, so it kind of kind of built that persona around that. And then the world of podcasting came around. I jumped on that and Blaze TV picked me up to do a podcast. And that turned into a, a nightly talk show, which you've been on a couple of times. Uh, and so it's it's been an interesting journey, man. It was almost like when you, you, you just decide that, you know, you're going to be who you are and be comfortable in your own skin. And I kind of have that gift of gab. I've always said that if I can find somebody to walk slow or stand still, I'll talk to them. And uh, so, you know, I've been able to make a living out of that and, and I piss a lot of people off and that's okay too, because some people just need to be pissed off. And sometimes I piss myself off and that's okay too. Uh, but, you know, it's a fun world we're living in. I mean, here I was on, I was doing radio and cable television, man. And something like Facebook sent my career like this. Oh, that can only happen in 21st century America. I mean, it really is crazy the time we live. No, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, social media is just, uh, it's turned things around. It's allowed everyone to be their own billboard uh, without having to go, you know, pay for one, you know, and if you do it right and uh, you build a following, it can do wonders for you. Obviously, you are a testament to that. Um, have you ever shared the stage with like Joe Rogan or those tours that he does or y'all? No, y'all cross never paths? have. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to get to know a lot of greats out there, uh, you know, in the world of comedy. And I, and I say greats and I, and I mean that too, because there's, there's nobody in my opinion, smarter than a, than a good comedian. And I mean, somebody that really understands the craft of comedy. That's why I always say, I don't consider myself a comedian. I'm a humorist. You know, I just know how to tell funny stories and I can do comedy, but I'm not naturally a comedian. Um, you know, these guys who, who know how to craft it and really know how to take you somewhere on a journey. They, they're the greatest minds in the world. I was having a conversation this morning about the guy that I got to know a little bit who passed away recently, Norm McDonald. You know, people didn't even know that Norm had cancer for as long as he did until he until he died. But, you know, I was, that was one of the smartest guys on the planet. I mean, he had to have an IQ that was nearing 200. I mean, it was insane how smart this guy was. And people look at that and they say, oh, you know, you know, you're running for office, you're running for governor, you're just a comedian. I'm like, holy shit, dude, you just compared me to some of the greatest minds that have ever existed on the planet. Thank you for doing that. Um, you know, but these days, these days, like, there's a reason why comedy is coming under attack, Clint, like, you know, the Dave Chappelle debacle that went on recently with his newest special. People don't want you to tell jokes anymore because they're too easily offended. You know, the world of comedy is, is like I call it that last bastion of free speech. They should be able to get under your skin, piss you off, make you think about yourself, make you introspective, you know, make you a little uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, you laugh at yourself. These days, people can't do that anymore. A great comedian knows how to do that. And uh, so I've been fortunate enough, back to your question, to, to run across some super, super geniuses. Joe's one of them. 
Uh, Dave's another one. Um, Dennis Miller. I mean, these guys that are out there, I could, and if, if George Carlin and Lenny Bruce could see what comedy has become today, they'd probably roll over in their graves because they went to jail for telling jokes back in the fifties and sixties. And, um, you know, th this is a, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a fight worth having, you know, in, in regards to free speech and comedy is where it's at. Yeah. Well, you are a funny bastard and it comes natural for you. And it's, uh, I'm always entertained and my cheeks always hurt after we hang out a little bit. We will be right back after the break. Now, rolling into your Blaze, getting onto Blaze TV and getting your own show on there, that did that happen because of your YouTube channel or where did that where did that get connected? Yeah. You know, they came to me a while and they they came, I was doing a podcast. The podcast was was pretty successful. It was once a week, long form, you know, hour and a half having a chat with somebody and I loved that. Blaze came to me with a couple of ideas and uh, they wanted to do a, a sort of a kind of a television show type deal. And they also wanted to do a podcast. In the long run, we kind of merged the two uh, and the Chad Prather show aptly named and uh, very little creativity in naming it that after myself. Uh, it, it kind of became what it is. And, uh, you know, I've been with Blaze now for three years. And for those who don't know, you know, Glenn Beck started the blaze back in 2012 and they had a merger with uh, conservative review TV, CRTV, uh, which was Mark Levin's deal and uh, became a great little powerhouse uh, conservative outlet for uh, independent broadcasting. And they've been good to me. I've I, you know, been with them for three years and, and I keep thinking, you know, Clint, I, you've been around me enough to know, like, I don't have a lot of filter and I just say things and I'm like, I'm like holy shit, the executives are probably going to come after me now for saying some of the things that I've said, but you know, the blaze has always let me run my mouth. They have never <laughs> at any time said, you might want to reel that in a little bit. Now there's been some things I've said off the microphone, you know, to executives that they didn't like so much, but at the end of the day, they, they've always, uh, they've been a real good, real good defender of free speech, yeah. even when it's stupid speech. And I do a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. There's, well, there's the far right and there's the far left and the blaze is definitely on the far, far right. Wouldn't you agree? Or, well, I don't know that I would say far right, you know, and that's the thing, you know, I, um, you know, they, they definitely, they definitely lean right. They've got some libertarian voices that are on there, you know, uh, Matt Kibbe, Andrew Wilkow. I consider myself a libertarian voice in a lot of ways. Eric July is a contributor. Um, you know, some of those guys I just listed are real legit libertarians. Uh, they've had some guys who lean left. Andrew Heaton was on the, he had a program on the place for a while. I mean, he's, he's a left-leaning moderate. Um, and so they've been fair in that regard. They're definitely small government guys, right? I mean, they're conservative guys that, that by and large, those they want the government like me. I want the government out of our lives, right? I, I want us to be able to govern ourselves without a whole lot of, uh, you know, a lot of invasion on the part of D.C. or, or any of our uh, governments. It's so, you know, they um, I, here's the way I always look at it. I say, you know, you've got extremes and people that want to get out on the wings, you know, it, I, I kind of look at things like this. I'm like, if I fly on an airplane, I want to be able to pick if I want to sit on the left side of the plane or the right side of the plane, right? Because some days you just feel like sitting on the right side of the plane. Sometimes it's better to sit on the left side of the plane. But if they, I've never chosen to sit out on the wings, you know? And unfortunately, <laughs> some people want to sit out on the wings, which to me, I don't think makes for a very comfortable ride. And I think by and large, that, that when you get out on the wings, it's a dangerous place. Get back in as close as you can to the middle. 
and uh you know i i definitely um i i definitely am um pretty outspoken and vocal about my convictions and people will say oh man he's just railing on about some right-wing stuff and i'm like no at the end of the day you really listen i'm pretty socially a liberal uh, and very classically liberal overall and fiscally conservative uh, but I think that a lot of those folks there at the blaze would kind of fall in that category. At the end of the day, we just want to be left alone. I want you to be left alone. I'm kind of in this fight to make sure that nobody's infringing on your rights. And uh, at the end of the day, you get to make your own decisions, keep your money and spend it however you want to spend it. Yeah, I like that, too. You're saying a lot of things I like, which leads me into this final piece with, uh, you know, running for governor. You, we've hit on it. You've yeah. talked about it a little bit. Um, so how does this work? I mean, you're going to you're going up against the incumbent, which is Abbott, right? And then yep. who else have you got that... Uh... So in the primary race, you've got, you know, on the Republican side of things, you've got uh, Abbott, of course, who's a two-term governor. He, he, was the, uh, he was on the Supreme Court of Texas. He was the Attorney General of Texas. So he's got about 30 years of Texas politics under his belt. Uh, he's a popular guy, according to the national media. Uh, people think of him as, as a conservative governor. Uh, he, most people who are conservatives in Texas, though, they, they seem kind of as a big politics uh, sellout to big to big government. And um, the uh, there's uh, myself that's to your question. There's myself. There's Alan West, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, uh, who's retired from the Army and uh, businessman, uh, housing developer out of um, uh, out of Dallas, Don Huffines. So the three of us, I was the first person to get in the primary race against Abbott. And the reason I did it, because again, to my earlier point, I said I would never get into politics. The reason I did it is because I was sitting there with Don Trump Jr. in South Dakota. I was drinking some wine. It was July 2nd. My phone goes off. I get a notification. You know, the world is, this was 2020. The world is shutting down everywhere over mandates, you know, and who's deemed essential and non-essential and what businesses and churches and gyms can stay open. And uh, people are losing their jobs. They're masking up. They're scared to death. They don't know what they're up against. They're losing their livelihoods. And my phone goes off and it said that the state of Texas uh, is being is telling um, certain businesses, particularly bars, which are 51 percent establishments, 51 percent of their sales comes from alcohol. They were shutting down the bars and, and the live venues. And I, I took that kind of personal because look, I make a living in bars and live venues. So. That, that started pissing me off. And uh, so I don't know if it's because I was drinking some wine or or uh, had maybe an extra glass of wine or because I was sitting there with a Trump. But I went to Twitter because, <laughs> I mean, that's what you do. Right. And I just said, I'm going to I'm going to run for governor in 2022 in the state of Texas. Well, it, it blew up because of my following. People had, had just had it, you know. And so, you know, if you look at it. NBC called me a few weeks ago and they said, according to the media, I said, let me stop you right there because what you're about to say is going to be BS. According to the media means nothing. They said, well, you know, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas is, is perceived as a, as a good conservative governor. I said, well, he's violated our constitutional rights 14 times in the last 18 months. I mean, I don't see how you could see that that seat or say that that's a good conservative value. The guy's increased spending in the state in the last seven years by $48 billion. Our property taxes are through the roof. We all know about border security being a mess. Our energy grid broke down last February. So there's a lot of things that are going on. He told you you couldn't go to work, couldn't go out and have fun, couldn't have a beer, couldn't go to church, uh, couldn't go to the gym. 
uh, people don't realize it. Like you may not want to go to the gym, but if you sign a contract with the gym, that's a constitutional right. They can't step in and say, okay, we're going to nullify that contract that you made with another entity. The government can't do that. That is a constitutional violation. You have a contract with that gym. You can go and honor that contract. Those are the kind of things that, that, that were happening that people just don't even see anymore. But they're willing to sweep it under the rug because it's uh, it's what we've always known, right? Well, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You get the same results. It's, and I was just like, it's just time for us to make a difference. So I jumped in and I said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to use my platform and my voice. And, and if nothing else, we're educating people. We're turning the lights on. You know, you know that, that I can see the ideas coming on. I always say when I see the light bulbs come on, I get those internet trolls that say, yeah, but with your followers, they're only seven and a half watt bulbs. Uh, so that's, <laughs> you know, that's funny. I, I did, I did a show last year in uh, Arizona with uh, Jill Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel's sister. She opened for me and you know, she's liberal. She's super liberal, just like Jimmy is. And, and, uh, she's a sweetheart though. And she came to the show and we were in the green room and she said, she said, my friend told me not to come do these shows with you. She said, I was guaranteed to get COVID because this was a room full of mouth breathers. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the funniest shit ever. Uh, but I said, you know, look, at the end of the day, I want government out of our lives. I want us to make politics boring again. I mean, why the hell do we keep giving credits to these empty headed political morons like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Beto O'Rourke and Eric Swalwell and all these guys? That, you know, they, they couldn't find their way out of the house with the lights off, uh, much less uh, run a country or, or a state or even a municipality, but we keep giving these guys a credit and, and giving them attention. So, you know, Hey, what do I know? I, I I'm from the ilk of Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. You know, we were entertainers and then we became politicians, I guess. Uh, but, it, but it, Hey, I love this state, man. People, you know, when I announced it, people thought it was a publicity stunt They're kind of waiting on the punchline. Uh, there's no punchline. I love the state of Texas, man. I it is the center of the universe. It's my conviction. I'm very serious about it. So I'm happy to be in this thing. Oh, and by the way, prayther2022.com. <laughs> hey, Clint, you know what? People people can even go to Beto22, Beto22.com. It still comes to my website. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You hijacked that shit. Yeah, oh, exactly. man, that's awesome. Well, you know, I obviously wish you the best of luck on this thing. And I think you are shining a big light on uh, just logic, common sense, straight shooting, and uh, all encapsulated in humor, which I think we all need a little bit of uh, from time to time, that's for sure, especially when it comes to politics. And I think the best thing you said was, let's make it boring again, because yeah. you're right, man. We, we The media just tramples on uh, the dumbest shit. And then, of course, you've got a majority of people that are watching and listening you know, think that that's just the way it is. And the reality is, is, you know, I've, I've said it before, 75, 85% of the news is, is just grossly inaccurate. Um, and yeah. from my personal experience sitting in war torn countries and then watching the news, I don't care if it's CNN or Fox, uh, they're showing footage from other countries saying it's, you know, the country that I'm in and, uh, that it's, you know, all, all this chaos and fire and riots and, look out the window and there's absolutely nothing going on because they're just reporting what gets clicks, what gets views, you know, what gets uh, the biggest purse for the advertisement that you're about to see. And uh, it's unfortunate because uh, accuracy has gone out the window. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're preaching. 
Yeah, and I mean, you saw on a microcosm, but it's a great example, you know, when the NASCAR thing happened and everybody was shouting F Joe Biden and that uh, reporter said, oh, listen, they're saying, let's go, Brandon. You know, they, they twist that <laughs> in a funny way, right? Because it's like that. We can't let the public hear that. We've got to tell them this. Yeah. Don't believe your ears and your eyes. Believe what we're telling you. And, you know, it's the, it's the old propaganda adage. If we tell somebody something enough times, it becomes truth. That is. And now you see it everywhere. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Man, the media, they're evil. They're worse than politicians. We add them to the list. It's politicians, yeah. lawyers, tax, tax people, and yeah, the media. Um, yeah. All right, buddy. Well, as you know, you've got to face this hypothetical survival scenario. Are you ready for this? I'm ready, man. I, I listened to your recent episode with Ant, and I'm like, good God. Like, I'm, I'm going to die. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was a great episode too man he's, yeah. he's a funny he's dude. a good dude man yeah you're listening to can you survive this podcast thanks for tuning in please make sure to subscribe rate and share on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows all right so here we go this is when the suspense music starts playing okay um, so let's say for this scenario, you are, uh, doing a road show. Okay. Uh, you're out of state, you're any state, any town that you want to, that you want to go ahead and place yourself in on the East coast. Uh, you just finished a great show and that town is small enough that you can walk back to your, uh, hotel motel. Um, it's nighttime and you walk back to the hotel alone, which I'm sure is completely untrue and false media. Um, and as you get closer to the hotel, a car pulls in front of you and blocks your path, okay? A person with a gun gets out of the driver's seat, okay? And uh, the person points the gun at your chest, motions for you to get in the car. I saw your show tonight. Get in the car. <laughs> this might be political. Uh, first question. Um First, do you, A, avoid escalating the situation, play ball and go ahead and get in the car, or B, wrestle the gun away from him? Those are my options, huh? <laughs> um, uh, if those are the two options, I, uh, God, see, I'm going to die, dude. I'm, I'm going to wrestle the gun away. I'm not getting in the fucking car. <laughs> well, that'd be very Texas of you for sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you're outgunned, outnumbered, or taking severe blows to the head, sometimes you have to temporarily surrender to take control of the situation so I, yeah, you can I think escape. That, I think that I would, get, I would get in the car. I mean, I'm putting there myself in that perspective. I would get in the car because, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's you know, otherwise I'm getting shot. But, yeah, that, that's the, you, you talk tough, but I'd get in the car. Yeah. I mean, it's can you take control of a person with a gun even though you don't have anything? Yes. And... I think a lot of people are underestimate their capabilities and they see a person with a gun and immediately go, he's got the advantage or she's got the advantage. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything. I might as well just sit here. I might as well do nothing. Um, I agree. You could fight, yeah, but you take a chance of, you know, taking a round in the gut or, or in the head or, or in the chest. And, um, but, or if you know what you're doing, you really think it through, you can take advantage of these guys, give in temporarily and uh, so that you can set yourself up for a clean escape later. So, um, but once again, if you're outgunned, which you are, outnumbered or taking severe blows to the head, uh, that temporary surrender is always a good option. 
Um, and the reason I say that, especially severe blows to the head, the last thing you want to do is get knocked out and then wake up chained mm-hmm. to a wall in a place you have no idea where you're at. Okay, so a lot of times keep the situation from escalating is key. And without some training and combatives or some other type of self-defense training, wrestling someone with a gun could turn out pretty bad. Uh, play ball for now and live another day, which is always the goal. If you start a fight, person clearly is unstable, so you don't know where it's going to go. So you're in the car. Do you, A, calmly try to feel out the situation, befriend the person, build rapport, uh, and take some things down a notch? Um, or B, give the person a lot of attitude and threaten extreme retribution? <laughs> I, uh, I have... Uh... A reasonably good gift of gab uh, and persuasion skills. I'm a great salesman, so I'm going to go with the first option. I'm going to try to de-escalate and, uh, you know, compliment his mother. Yeah, I truly believe that. I think you actually could. No matter what this person's thinking or whatever level of, uh, you know, mental uh, acuity they got going on, I think you could actually talk them down. Uh, Trying to befriend (laughs) the person and build rapport. Uh, finding some common ground, you know, you're, what you're doing in that process is saying, hey, look, I'm a human. We're humans. We're in this together. Because um, a lot of people, a lot of these bad guys don't realize that when they take a prisoner, they're actually becoming a prisoner themselves, right? Mm. Um, so just tread lightly. Don't push too hard. Remaining calm and keeping the situation calm is definitely the key. Um, and then a little bit of friendliness never hurts. Um, but then... The kidnapper pulls the car over. They point the gun at you and tell you to hold your hands out towards them. Okay? So do you, A, present your hands, or B, grab the gun and start brawling? Uh, Present my hands. All right, yeah. Okay, you're on the right path here for this scenario. We're taking the de-escalation route. Okay, sure, we have other scenarios where you're going to fight it out. But this one, yes, de-escalation is key. Again, with extensive training in combative self-defense, if you know what you're doing and you do it all the time, then so be it. You put your confidence into the fight. Um, but if you don't have that, then uh, de-escalation is definitely a better choice. So you reluctantly present your hands to your captor. Uh, your captor pulls out a roll of duct tape and begins to tape your hands at the wrists. So do you, A, press your wrists close together, making it easy for your captor to go ahead and tape you up, or B, press your palms together with your wrists a little outwards, creating a gap, and get taped up. Uh, I'm going to, um, I am going to put my palms together. That's right. In that, correct. By pressing your palms together and your wrists out it, to the to the bad guy, it just looks like your wrists are together. But that little that little difference is what sets you up for the escape later. So. You make it you make it hard, you know. You're putting that tape on, and you're having a gap already in place uh, as you're getting restrained, and that gap is what's going to set you free later. Um, so now you pull up to a house. You are ordered to get out of the car, and your captor says that you're going to go into the house as well. So do you a take off running, or b play it cool and uh, do as you're told. Uh, I'm going to do as I'm told in that situation. There you go. Do as you're told. You're going to, you know, outrunning a bullet, 
probably not going to happen. And plus, you're taped up. So if there's any barriers, fence lines, anything, they're going to be pretty difficult to uh, to negotiate with your hands t- uh, taped together. Um, so you do as you're told. Once inside, you see a couple of kids running around and playing. <laughs> so um, you're still duct tape, uh, hands in front of your body. And luckily, the tape is kind of loose because of the gap you created. So do you, A, grab one of the kids as a hostage and demand to be let go, or B, keep playing it cool and do what you're told? I'm still playing it cool. <laughs> I'm still pathetic, baby. That's right. All right, do as you're told. You don't want to piss this person off, and by grabbing a kid, we'll probably do that. Um, and it's obvious that they're clearly unstable, that they're bringing a restrained man into their home with their kids. <laughs> so, uh, well, they might not be their kids, but we, we think they're their kids. Um, so now you're taken into a room in the house. Now the handcuffs are added to your wrists in uh, addition to the tape. Hmm. A bag is placed over your head, and you are placed in a chair in the corner of the room. Okay, so do you, A, pretend to be asleep and hope the captor loosens, uh, loses interest in you, or B, ask to go to the bathroom? Uh, I'm going to ask to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and what's your reasoning for that? I'm going to try to, uh, one, see circumstantially what the surroundings are, what kind of environment I'm in, what's available to me in terms of resources, uh, and also uh, change the pace a little bit from uh, they're not dictating the circumstances. Much. Yeah, there you go. I think uh, once you kind of start to build some rapport, you want to throw a demand out there or a request um, and see what you can and cannot get away with. Uh, and it kind of determines where they're at with everything. So, you know, and you've also gotten to the point where playing it cool hasn't actually it's worked because you're still alive, but you're not sure how much further it's going to actually do you any good, right? As the restraints become more and more. Um, so they say yes, that you, uh, that you that your request to the uh, bathroom has been granted. Uh, they take you to the bathroom, remove your hood and the handcuffs, but you're still duct tape and leave you alone in the bathroom. You quickly check for supplies while you're in there, uh, but you don't find much. You check the small window uh, that you see, and that it looks like you're about 30 feet up, right? So do you, A, flush the toilet, then jump out the small window with a 30-foot drop, or flush the toilet, then defeat the duct tape with force? I'm going to defeat the duct tape with force, not jumping out. That's right. There's, uh, you know, destruct- obviously with duct tape, it's a destructive method. You can use your body as a wedge, put your wrists out in front of you at eye level, and then rocket your elbows past your rib cage. And usually the tape will break and it'll look like they've been it's been cut with a pair of scissors. Or you can use friction. Find the corner of a wall, cinder block, whatever you've got around you, and start going back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of ways, but you want to break that, uh, that tape free. Um, so with your hands freed now, uh, do you A... Wrap the duct tape back around your wrists and return to the kidnapper so he does not realize that you're actually free. Or B, remove the tank cover from the toilet as you exit the bathroom and knock out the kidnapper with 
the toilet tank cover? Uh, this is where I die because when I walked in the bathroom, my first thought was that tank cover. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're on the right path. You know, I think that's your first. I think that's your first opportunity to do a weapon. I mean, how many locked doors are you behind at this point? At some point in time, you've got to overpower uh, your captor. So I'm I'm going to think real hard about the uh, the tank cover. Uh, and in this, because if you go back out with the duct tape, they're just putting the cuffs right back on. That's right. You know what you're going back into now. So, yes, you remove the tank cover from the toilet as you exit the bathroom, and uh, yeah. You, uh, you're going to just go for it. Um, de-escalation basically has come to an end and, uh, Chad is going to go, uh, go Rambo. So, uh, you know, trying to knock a guy out with a, with a big object like that, you got door frames and you don't know how things are going to go when that door opens, but you've got to, uh, you've got to take that chance. Um, and you take advantage with that surprise attack and you get lucky and you knock his ass out so good job chat so last question do you a search the house look for accomplices or evidence of the kidnapper's motive or b sneak out downstairs maintain stealthy movements and sneak out and avoid alerting anyone else uh while your kidnapper is tko'd or no he's actually uh, ko'd i'm uh, i'm getting the hell out of there that's right. You're not Rambo, and you're not a cop, and it's not your job to uh, start uh, looking for stuff. But uh, you did your best, you know, to de-escalate the situation and keep things calm, like a good politician should. Uh, and then when it was time to fight, you fought and you won. So you have survived this podcast. Good job, there, Chad. <laughs> Congratulations! It felt good doing it too. It felt good doing it. Clint. Yeah, no, I just, bet. Just smacking that dude with a porcelain tank lid. I love it. Yeah, I, I wonder. I think I think that actually would feel good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you did a uh, you knocked him out. Good job. And uh, so before we uh, before we go here, where can people uh, find everything that you've got going on uh, and even you know buy some of your goods? I saw, I actually just recently bought uh, one of your lightweight hoodies. And T-shirt, awesome. uh, the T-shirt that said "Most likely to secede" <laughs> with the Texas, <laughs> the state of Texas on it. I thought that was awesome and creative. But uh, where can people find out more about you? Go watch your show and buy some of your uh, cool apparel. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And uh, we, we, uh, the one-stop shop for pretty much everything I do is Watch Chad Prather. Uh, the most vain URL you can imagine. WatchChad.com. <laughs> Uh, is is the easy one watchchad.com and uh, we got our store there we got a list of uh, public events you know our live shows as well as campaign things and uh, you get the book there there's a whole kind of stuff that's there we, we're actually working on a new deal uh, chadprather.com which is going to be my new uh, blog and news site which kind of brings the news but with an element of humor to it uh, so we're going to launch that in the next week but watch watchchad.com is going to be the place with it links to everything Okay, there you go, everyone. Uh, Watchchad.com. And, uh, hey, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. I do appreciate it. I love hanging out with you. Uh, like I said before, I think you bring a lot of logic, common sense, straight shooting humor to uh, politics. I think it's needed, and I appreciate everything that you do. You as well, brother. Thanks for everything, man. Always enjoy it being with you.
Awesome, man. Like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And until next time, I'll see you later. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson. <laughs>